It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who's been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive, America's premier automotive news and technology information talk show. I'm your host, Ken Chester. For the next hour, entertainment and education will abound just for you, my dedicated listener. As always, we will start off with information of interest from the parts bin. Our topics for our visit today include human and self-driving cars. What could possibly go wrong? I have a list, number one. I'm sure you do. (laughs) A look at new rear crash prevention ratings and a Volkswagen update. And here's a hint. It's not about diesels or electric vehicles. It's not. To add your voice to the weekly radio adventure known as Roadworthy Drive, it's easy. Call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. If email is your preference, we got you there, too. The address you want is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way connects you to me and the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew, which... By the way, is a great place for me to introduce him right here. Starting with that man with the plan, the fellow required by the suits to be the designated adult. No, really, it's in the contract. The resident show curmudgeon, my good friend and roadworthy drive executive producer, Jack. And holding things down over at Mike 2 is the sassy and the brassy Miss Sasha. Howdy, my peoples. Okay, I'm having my contract rewritten so you cannot say the word curmudgeon. <laughs> ah, but here's a point of reference, It sir. is a $5 word. It is, but you've also admitted on air to be a curmudgeon. Only when I have to be, but, but, it's, not, but it's not every week. But, but you, I don't say it every week. Yes, you do. <sighs> he has fallen in love with that word. He, yes, he, yes, he has. Curmudgeon. Now, from the parts bin, let's go. From curmudgeon? Curmudgeon. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Volvo. Okay. Versus Tesla. Why do I have a feeling that this could be a classic boxing match? Could be. Right. Um, Volvo actually set up a separate nameplate, which used to be Performance. Um, they used the name as a sub-brand back in the day for performance models called Polestar. Okay. They're now setting up a whole company to develop electric vehicles, upscale electric vehicles called Polestar. So are, when they go to all electric, is a Volvo nameplate going to go away? No. No. Okay. These, they're talking about um, a whole different approach and going after Tesla specifically. Now, Volvo, we know, is going to go more towards electric. They're all about sustainability and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's not new. Uh, but they've got two vehicles. The first one that they've got is called the low-volume, high-performance Polestar 1 Hybrid Coupe, and it made it, that one made its debut in Shanghai a while back at the auto show. It's designed to go on sale first half of 2019. Then they've got a higher volume vehicle, uh, the pure electric Polestar 2. That's what they're talking about. Okay, so you said the Polestar 1 was a coupe. I have a question. Yeah. Are they going to put it on a rocket and send it into space? I kind of <laughs> doubt it. I kind of doubt it. <laughs> now, they're, they're going to introduce these in China first. Okay. Uh, because right now the Chinese government has really cracked down 
and is really, I wouldn't say pushing, probably kicking the auto industry towards full electrics to deal with their pollution problem. Okay, but what are they doing about the commercial trucks that really pollute? Uh, those two. So they're, do, they're doing both sides of this at once? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, now this company, Volvo's parent, Geely, um, is China's leading privately owned Chinese automaker. They sold by sales last year, or actually uh, in the first nine months of 2017, 827,000 vehicles. And that's up 80%. They're okay. not planned. Was that, did you say that was electric? No. Or was that everything? That was everything. Okay. But they're getting a toehold. You know, these folks aren't just somebody just starting out. They've been around a while. And they're growing. Okay. Um, They're adding a name called a Link and Company. And we've talked about this maybe about a year, year and a half before. Link, uh, L-Y-N-K and Company, a new marquee targeting young buyers with connected cars and innovative service packages, um, which may also include autonomous vehicles under that nameplate. Okay. Now. So that that's what Volvo's up to. Okay. Look out look out Tesla. Um on the EV example, um the fast charging EV infrastructure is gaining momentum in the United States. Now, we've talked about this and the big issue for a lot of people was um that uh you know, oh, you know, there ain't that many electrics and who's going to build the infrastructure, yada yada yada. Here, here's a thought for you. And I keep coming back to it. When the auto industry started, it was the same thing. There was no gas stations. There were no gas stations. There were no repair shops. The roads were awful. Yes, they were. Yet it caught on. Now, here's another piece of the mosaic I keep talking about. A company called EVGO is teaming up with General Motors' Maven's car sharing service mm-hmm. to develop, and I quote, the nation's first dedicated fast-charging network for on-demand drivers. Translation, if you're using, if you are a driver for Maven, for sharing a car, in other words, doing a link, I mean, a uh, Lyft or Uber type situation, only Maven is GM's version of that. Correct. Uh, and you're doing it with a Chevy Bolt with a B uh, electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. Here is a fast charging network. There's building, and they're going to build out to allow you to get uh, charged quickly. Okay, but now I'm going to start asking some questions. I like questions. Good. Number one, where are these going to be? Easy. Um, right now, Maven's operating and EVGO is operating roughly in seven cities. They're, they're looking at expanding across the country. EVGO already has in the United States right now a network of over 1,000 fast chargers. I understand that, but what my question is, are they putting these in gas stations, McDonald's, Burger King? Where are they putting them? It does not say, um, but right now I can tell you the cities that they're starting with. Okay. Uh, and that would be San Francisco, what a surprise, L.A., San Diego, Boston, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and Austin, Texas. Basically, this announcement gives drivers who wants to rent a Maven electric car to offer up their rides a more certain way to fill up the Bolt EV and get back on the road. EV, by their own uh, estimation, is going to build hundreds of Maven charging stations in current and future Maven markets in the United States. To give you an idea, Maven already 
has drivers driving over 9 million electric miles already. And Maven's only been around two years. Okay, but again, you're, you told us, I think, that it would take 30 minutes to give you an, enough of a charge to be able to go. 75 miles. Okay. But that's a fast charger. That is a fast charger. Now, my whole point here is it would make sense for them to partner with somebody like a McDonald's or a Burger King or a Wendy's or somebody like that, Taco Bell. I okay, don't care but what you, you do you, you because missed, you're going to have to sit for 30 minutes. You missed the point, though. If you, It's dedicated for this particular network for Maven. At this point, doesn't care as long as I am near a, an off-ramp, somewhere convenient for where I'm Renting this car to drive mm-hmm. in an Uber situation doesn't matter to me. I can read a book for a half an hour. Now, am I to assume here mm-hmm. that you basically have to go up to the machine, put your credit card into it to be able to charge? They haven't talked all about that. I don't know. I'm I, assuming you have to pay for the charge. It depends. If you are already online with Maven, they might just uh, true up your account because Maven is a car sharing service. Right. Which means you are, you are um, using a vehicle probably provided by Maven to do car sharing, which means you already have an account with them. Okay. So maybe you got a number. They didn't, the article didn't get into all that. All they were saying is, hey, we are expanding the network. We're reducing the price is the two big things. But the biggest issue people were having was high-speed charging. And yeah. that is something that's growing. This is one of several stories we have found relative to high-speed charging in the United States. The day is coming, and we've even talked about the technology where you could be talking five or ten minutes. It's coming to that. Falling battery prices, uh, increased in better grid management. We talked about UPS in London, what, last week? Yep. Where they figured out how to bring a bunch of vehicles and charge them all at once. You get better management of charging capabilities with high-speed charging, and this thing's going to blow wide open. So that's what's coming up. Next up, humans and autonomous cars. As Jack would say, what could possibly, possibly go wrong? And I have a list number one when we get back. I bet you do. Go ahead. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the awesome stations in the Roadworthy Drive radio network. You betcha. Do you have a question, idea, or comment for Ken? You can let him know by calling 872-888-9793, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Leave Ken a voicemail message or a text. Think back. Try to remember when a new American car actually looked new. Cougar from Mercury. Its new rounded contours, its new aerodynamic design, its new aircraft-inspired doors actually enhance its function. Cougar from Mercury. If you're just joining us, you've tuned to Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for checking us out. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you looking for vintage automotive literature like old factory manuals, late model new vehicle brochures, 
car, old car magazines, and more, you need to check out my website, and that's vintageautomotivemedia.com. If, vintage, if it's vintage automotive literature you're looking for, I probably have it. I have currently over 7,000 listings on both eBay and Amazon. The website's a great launching place to select your favorite venue. And let me give you a cost-saving hint. Although the inventory is identical between eBay and Amazon, the shipping is usually less for my stuff on eBay, I'm just saying. Just, just throwing of, that out there. Just throwing that out there. Just Because, you know, I'm there. all about people saving money. <clears throat> just saying. Now, human folk and autonomous cars. Oh, yeah, we need to talk about this. What could possibly go wrong? Number one, elderly people trying to smash a hole into the floorboard because they're looking for the accelerator or the brake. E oh. Okay. Or ahead. the dimmer switch. Oh, my <laughs> God. She didn't even, you know what? She didn't even know what a dimmer switch was until I explained it. No, to her. I did. My, my, the old Ford that my grandfather had. Wait a uh, minute. You're admitting? Shush. shush. Oh, wow. Not going there. Wow. And, uh, they, he had a dimmer switch down there. And I don't understand. It was a great invention, and I just don't understand why I can't have that back now. Cost, manufacturing, simplicity. So let's go back to this. And, and the other problem you probably have, yeah. it's now also probably electronic. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And that was electrical, mechanical. Um, but here's something a little simpler. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, all right. Simpler First, than a dimmer switch? Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's start with the obvious. Right now, today, real-time, real-world, there are not regular autonomous cars on the roadways, as a matter of course. There are those that are in test mode. Mm -hmm. uh, even Waymo down in uh, Arizona, still relatively some sort of test mode. California, on the other hand, was going to allow that, but nobody signed up. <laughs> it happened the week after Uber in Arizona. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, and why would anybody sign up right now when you still don't have the insurance companies deciding who's going to be liable? But actually, state law would trump that, and in California, they've covered that already. That's not an issue. Oh, okay. I did not know that they yeah. had covered it already. Here's, but here's the thing, and I've talked about this, and I want to bring it up again. Um, with a semi-autonomous car, and that's where your real problems are, humans get bored trying to catch mostly a functional machine not working. My number one beef about why, why, if I could rant, why is it even makes sense at speed if you're above 25 miles an hour, why you need, why it even makes sense to have a person in the car to monitor the vehicle. Somebody explain that to me. They can't react and they're not engaged in this whole, all of these surveys are saying if you're not engaged with the car. Because the car is doing its thing for maybe 300 miles. You're supposed to be on tap for that one time. It doesn't do it. If the vehicle's rolling, really, at 10 miles an hour or more, you're going a lot faster than you think. And in the full seconds, it times takes a human mind to engage. Something's wrong. I need a plan of action and act. That's three or four seconds. These things are dealing in nanoseconds. I think having a human at the wheel in an autonomous thing is completely and utterly worthless. But if they're in semi-autonomous mode... They're completely and utterly worthless. Because if the autonomy fails, it's, it's acting faster than you have the ability to. Anyone who's ever been in an accident, and I've been in one, it took me, in my case, and I was a lot younger, probably three to four seconds. And it was two and a half seconds too late. Ooh. 
Okay, but doesn't the car have the fail-safe that if all of a sudden the computer goes kablooey, it's either going to tell you take over or stop the car? Okay, wonderful. But guess what? You've gone 100, 150, 200 miles. Car hasn't had a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, out of clear blue, I have a problem. You need to take over. How much time, because you weren't dialed in to the vehicle, you were sitting there, but you weren't dialed in, you were playing with your phone, you were reading a newspaper, you were looking out the window, who knows, to realize, one, gee, I need to get engaged, two, what's the problem, three, what's the plan, four, act, too late. Well, and I will say this, I am not, I am not arguing with any point you're making, because the point you're making is exactly the same questions that I would be asking. Here, here's my take on this. My feeling is, until they get it resolved, there is a lot of off-street, semi-real-world situations that they can deal with. Right. We've covered some of those, where automakers actually spent $20 million developing a whole campus of streets and situations, things like that. Sasha, with what he just talked about, was that what we were talking about off the air in Michigan? Um. Kind of. Michigan actually recreated or they Willow took a, run. Yeah. And they made like a self-driving car uh, testing area. But I don't think that was more like it was like a track type thing. And they actually, put obstacles out there. Actually, no. Uh, Willow Run is a complete mock-up of cities, streets, lights, situations. And that's not the only one in Michigan. There's Planet M, which is developed by the University of Michigan. Which one was the World War II bomber hangar? That's Willow Run. That's Willow Run. Then, and, yes, and that's Willow, exactly okay. what we were talking And Willow about. Run's got so much more going on. And, My, and, go do I, and do I assume that someplace in these, quote, test facilities, they actually have tracks that you're running 65, 70, oh, 75 yeah. mile an hour? Oh, yeah. They've got everything. Bumpy roads, country roads. Are they throw. I hate to say it this way, but are they throwing Chickens? stuff at? Right. I mean, in I the roadway. I mean, to I, see what the car does. Okay. Throwing like a I, plastic doll. I, I don't know how far they're going, but I am more comfortable in that situation than putting somebody behind the wheel, either as a safety driver, as required by New York and California, and to a lesser degree, Arizona requires. Mm -hmm. Um. The only way that works is if I'm in city traffic and the thing can't decide and it comes to a complete and utter stop. I have to bring this up. I've stepped quiet about this. I drove into the city today, mm -hmm. and I don't understand people that have got a problem with self-driving cars when I'm literally watching you guys on your phones going 70 miles an hour, texting, laughing, showing it to your passenger next by, and going 75 miles an hour. But, you know... Autonomous vehicles oh, aren't safe, Okay, though. first of all, you guys, leave me out of it. We, we I know, don't do that. We know you're on your Apple doing yeah. all kinds of things. Okay, <laughs> don't even have a cell phone, though, <laughs> for openers. Second of all, would never do that driving. i seen one example. It was enough. I, I just had the perfect example of what we needed to throw in the test track. Okay. The kitchen sink. Right? Oh, my yes. goodness. Did you just go there? Yes, I went there. The entire kitchen sink. Yes. I was thinking critters, but okay, the man was going kitchen um, sink. I don't want PETA coming after me. Oh, my God. Coming up, backstop, a look at the new rear crash prevention ratings. You're riding shotgun with Ken and Roadworthy Drive.
Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Make him stop dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I like dancing. Thank you very much. I am Ken Chester. A.K.A. Dancing Queen. Uh, Queen? Really? Just saying. No, you need to let that go. (laughs) Seriously. Give me warning next time I'll have the music cue. Oh, my God. Uh, In spite of the crew (laughs) just going a little rogue, we are glad that you chose to join us. (laughs) For those of you that need or want... More than your fair share of the road, and after scenes like this, can't imagine why. <laughs> Visit the show website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. Find video clips of our behind-the-scene antics in studio while recording the show. You might need a drink. I'm just saying. No? No. No. Okay. No. No, we provide the entertainment. You don't need to drink in order to be entertained. Uh-huh. Audio clips of past shows <laughs> and even more. And uh, the website? A great place to discover our presence on social media. Contrary to what you might have heard, Sasha is our official social media diva who keeps things light and lively during the week, between shows, and when I say novel, I mean novel, and interesting automotive tech and trends and her postings. See how Sasha keeps the social in our social media. Mm -hmm. Ain't that right, Sasha? It is actually correct, yes. I know that's right. Now, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, we've talked about the IIHS before, mm-hmm. um, has just reported the results of its first ever rear crash protection tests. Now, a little history. They were leaders in front emergency braking. Correct. So much so that the automakers agreed with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and agreed to make them standard voluntarily before they were required in 2022. And what we're talking about, it's under different names, but basically it's automatic emergency braking, which basically means if you if something in front of you stops quick or there's an immovable object that suddenly comes up on you, if you don't react in time, the vehicle will, in fact, uh, start to stop. It will start to stop, or will it come if it's, to... Well, if it's 35 miles an hour or under, typically, for a system, it can come to a complete stop. Mm-hmm. If it's over 35, it will slow, It will attempt to slow down. Okay. Now, does That's it... probably a way to get your attention to pay attention and brake. No. If it's engaged, it means that you missed your time, and it's trying to mitigate an accident. Okay. <clears throat> now, when it says that you, it's attempting to stop, does that mean that it brings it down to 35 and to which the other safety mechanism mechanism would kick in no which would bring it to a stop. no if you let let me give an example you're doing 70 miles an hour yes and i'm on fake book and oh lord and i throw the kitchen sink <laughs> yeah and you throw the kitchen, and the kitchen sink. sink comes out <laughs> uh the vehicle knows that it needs to break yes mm-hmm. you it probably warned you either audible sound or some sort of an other icon sound. of a kitchen sink going across your <laughs> yeah. in any case oh we are on a roll today in any case the vehicle will probably warn you if you don't react, then it will take over. 
But at 70 miles an hour, it's not going to typically bring you to you're a complete back, stop. You're back to basically mitigating the damage in an accident, and you're probably going to have it. You're probably going to have an accident, but right. you might have it at 35 or 40 as opposed to 70. Okay. Okay. All right. Meaning that it will, at the worst, mitigate the severity of the crash, and at the best, avoid the crash. Okay. If at all possible. Now, that's for frontal. What they were finding out is that there was an opportunity to improve um, and mitigate rear crashes. Now, let me give you a statistic that I found just blew me away. They talked about, uh, and this is public. Uh, they said new research. Uh, let me, no, I'm sorry. 2015. There were 188,000 passenger vehicles in the United States involved in backing crashes, according to the police. Now, that's only, and did I mention 188,000? Okay, you said backing in. So, no, like no, if you're backing up and hit something. parallel okay. parking, you yeah. run into like you know in, you're pulling, another car, right? You're pulling your pull, pole. You're pulling into the doctor's office and you hit the light pole because you backed into the parking space or a kitchen okay. sink that got thrown out. And right. now, happen. does that also include like if the people that they you know like a kid, you know, if it's a bike, like it's an actual pedestrian? They don't. They don't break out the type. They said backing accidents. Okay. Okay. Would you believe that 180? Thousand accidents is only two percent of all passenger vehicle crash involvement. Yeah, two percent. Mm-hmm. And how how many of that were like uh, human operated they as did. opposed to self driving? Those were all human operated. What yeah. are you saying that the human drivers could actually make accidents? Yes, ninety four percent of all accidents. As a as a matter of fact, this this weekend here, uh oh, we had a, somebody. Pull in front of a gentleman that was pulling pulling a pontoon boat, oh, and no. two school buses smashed oh, into no. each other. Oh, oh no! Are the kids okay? Everybody was fine. There were a couple kids that were shaken up. However, they they nailed this individual with reckless driving and distracted driving. Ah, we talked about distracted driving. Yeah, we have new research from the IIHS indicates a rear automatic braking system. Bundled with rear parking sensors and a rear view camera. Together can reduce backing crashes involvement rates by more than 75%. While a rear cross traffic alert system alone can reduce it by 20%. It's not just one technology. Ironically, the technology that has the highest installation rate, which is the rear view camera right now, Mm -hmm. also has the lowest uh, accident prevention rate. Oh, it only improves it by maybe three, four percent. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that's going to take some time for people to get used to looking at it. I don't ever use. I, that. I but have, you don't have one in your vehicle. When I drive other vehicles that have one, I do not. When, but you don't. That that's interesting. We're talking about vehicles that people own. Yes. To where the rear view camera mm-hmm. is standard equipment or equipped. I can understand how somebody who perhaps doesn't own one and it may be driving different vehicles wouldn't use it because well you... and and the thing is I have one on my truck. Mm-hmm. Do you use it occasionally? Because do you use it when it things at you, or do you use it instinctively? I I will look at it just 
I will look at it. That's how I, that's how I can that's how I can describe this. For me, where I drive a lot of vehicles that have it, right? Uh, it in combination with either an audible sound um, or a flashing light helps. Yeah, because I've learned to trust the system. If the system says, even though I'm backing up and I don't see it right away, and I'm getting either from the side view cameras or the rear cross path protection warning that something's probably close. On our, and I found it more often than not, it's right. And on our big uh, commercial truck, mm-hmm. we've had backup sensors on it because mm-hmm. it came with the truck. Right. And I can tell you, those worked great. And that truck was never equipped with a rear view camera. Mm-hmm. But it, but the sensors work great. Right. Let me, let me throw this at you. Rear view cameras are standard on 89% and optional on 10% of 2018 models. So, technology to consider. Um, coming up next, we are talking about Volkswagen. This is Roadworthy Drive. Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. to the last part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester. Um, before we even get to the last part, <laughs> because Sasha had a whole lot to say about that last segment, and she was a little frustrated that she didn't get a chance to speak her piece, so Sasha, I yield the floor. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, now, what I was going to say is I understand why people that might have that, stand, that equipment in their vehicle as far as the rear-facing camera. And with, you know, the screen to look at via it it in their um, in their rearview mirror itself or in the console itself. It's not natural to them to look at an image. They have been taught to actually look. My grandfather's had one in the last two or three models that he's owned. And he will tell you it doesn't feel right unless it dings at him because his eyesight's kind of going. And if it dings at him, then he will look at the actual image. Do you realize there are some vehicles that even go as far as mitigation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where if you don't respond, it will stop? Yeah. Mm -hmm. My old van, I guess it's like the luxury and it had everything upon everything in it. Mm -hmm. It's actually got rear rear sensors. Well, you've got front and rear sensors. You've got the rear view camera. You've got typically that's bundled with uh, what they call rear cross traffic alert or warning. And some even have uh, rear... Um, some sort of rear backing mitigation. And I'm thinking more of the Infinity models where were some of the first that had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now this one doesn't have the mitigation, but it does have, because I've got a light pole right there on my at the oh. end of my driveway, and so it will constantly ding when I go, you know, you're about to hit something. I was like, no, it's a light pole. It's been there. Yeah, well, it was warning you. <laughs> it's saying we don't want you to hit it. Okay. Over the last few years, we've talked about the trials and tribulations of Volkswagen since the discovery of illegal emissions from its cars in the fall of 2015. Um, Volkswagen's looking at getting things together. They just recently had a shakeup. They uh, replaced their chairman. They put more emphasis on regaining market share in the, in the U.S. market. Here's an interesting fact for you. Volkswagen is the world's largest manufacturer of motor vehicles in the world. However, in the United States, 
they have less than a 2% share. Oh. They want to get to 5%, but that requires them to sell a lot more vehicles. Problem is, their volume leaders are passenger cars, which are falling. Mm -hmm. As of the last year, um, it's been a turnaround with their biggest sellers, their new full-size Atlas SUV, and their redesigned Tigua SUV, which is smaller. Mm -hmm. They've got a a uh, two-row and a three-row that is kicking butt and taking names. Here's the interesting thing. They they showed a a concept, and they believe that the answer to this concept, the, the, the subgroup that would help them over the top and make this particular vehicle that they showed successful is women. It's not a crossover, and it's not an SUV. What is it? It's not a passenger car. What is it? A pickup truck. Really? Didn't we talk about this a couple weeks ago? We did, actually. We did, but we didn't talk about what (laughs) Volkswagen felt that their success would be. They feel that right now there is this missing part of the marketplace uh, that women would come into. 2017, women purchased 18% of all pickups, 21% of midsize pickups. And And women, of course, as always, weighed heavily into the final purchasing decisions of that hot selling segment. Yet, with the possible exception of the Honda Ridgeline, very little pickup marketing targets female buyers. Well, and see, and I find that absolutely surprising because most of the women that I know who are divorced or or what I'm going to call single and have been single all their lives are buying Pickup truck. I would. Heck, Mama would buy a pickup truck because it's the old saying: if Mama ain't happy, nobody's, ain't nobody's happy. happy. Yep. I'm gonna try it. And it's a nice looking pickup. It, it really is. is. I nice think it's looking. sharp because remember I showed you when we did that show. Mm-hmm. I think it's sharp. Here's, I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's an absolutely gorgeous pickup. Here's the thing that would work for Volkswagen. It's on the same chassis as the Atlas SUV. They mm-hmm. can build it in the same plant. Yep. Passat. Atlas and this, um, their pickup. Are they going to build it? Well, they said that, oh, there's no plans to build it. Yeah, no. Bull hockey. That's what I'm saying. Right now, they need to do something. They don't have any entries in the hot selling full size or mid size pickup segments. They can bring this thing to market. Okay, would you please define something for me? Yes. When you say mid size pickup, are we talking about, I'm going to use names here, the Chevy Colorado. Ford Ranger, Ford Ranger, that 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 yes. kind of stuff. Okay, yes. and then the medium sized truck would be what we would what we would normally hear as a light duty truck. Well, we would call it a full size pickup. Okay, yeah. So um, this is going to happen. They 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 kind of, eh. but to get to where they're going in this market in the United States, not only do they need a pickup, they probably need two. Okay, you need a small one and a bigger one. They need this Atlas, and they probably need. Son of Atlas, if you will, that may still be on that platform, but a little smaller. And electric. <sighs> I'm just saying, can we bring forth an electric pickup truck, please? Ah, uh, you know, Bollinger. Workhouse, workhorse. Uh huh. Yeah. Got to get the names right, though. I know. Uh, really? Why don't you call them and place an order? I have. They're not returning my calls. Oh. And they <laughs> kind of want six figures. <laughs> oh. So, I, I tried yeah. to give them IOU and my Monopoly money, and they weren't uh, feeling it. No. Uh-huh. Well, my check in Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> the the Atlas pickup that they're talking about 
is what they call a unibody construction. It's going to ride better than those heavy body-on-frame pickups. And because it is roughly uh, just under 18 feet long, it will fit in most garages. Yep. Okay, let me explain something. Having owned now a pickup that is body-on-frame, mm-hmm. and I've, we've, I've had pickups all of my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. These pickups today ride so much like a car, it's not even funny. Yeah. They do. Yeah. But if you go to the next step in a unibody-built uh, vehicle, it would even go beyond that. I mean, you're talking about small cars in this market that um, have the equipment and handle and ride like the mid-size, middle-of-the-market cars of 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, there are no slouches out there, no matter what market. You've got uh, the foreign automakers who are still spending money on passenger cars. Yep. Even right. as Detroit's looking at dropping out of some. Yep. And they are putting together the best product they've ever had. I'm going to name drop two real quick. Had two Hyundai models. Had a Hyundai Accent that I totally loved for a small car. I could not believe how well that car ran. Mm -hmm. And then while I was out east, I had a Hyundai, uh, the next size up, the Hyundai Accent. I'm sorry, the Hyundai, uh, I can't think of it, Elantra. Loved it too. So, oh well. Uh, On that note, folks, we have come to the end of another hour. (laughs) Always seem to run out of time. Uh, On behalf of Jack, Sasha, and myself, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.